Well, good evening. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Drew Smith, and I am the youth pastor here at Ninth and Oak Baptist Church. And we just want to thank you for coming out for another edition of our series we're going through, Can I Ask That? Looking at hard questions about the Christian faith. And the question on the table this evening is, is a tough one. It's, does God exist? And to help us answer that, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Danny McDonald. Uh, as Gabe mentioned, he is professor at Boyce College, and I think you teach at Liberty online sometimes as well, right? part-time there. Yeah, he, uh, he's a published author in this area, also a wicked drummer, <laughs> a man of many talents, and assuming he does most of the talking, this will be a highly educational evening. But uh, as, uh, as Gabe mentioned as well, this is going to be a little bit of a different format from our typical Sunday night. If any of you are seasoned podcasters, uh, this will seem pretty familiar. So this is going to be kind of a conversational interview. I'll throw some questions at Danny. We'll talk about it for a little while and then move on to the next topic. And our prayer and hope is that as we go through this, many of the questions, concerns you guys have will, will be answered. Um, so I'm going to pray for us and then we can get rolling. Father, I just thank you that we live in a church filled with men like Danny who are a treasure to us with the many years they have invested in learning your word and learning these issues and learning what our enemies would throw at us to attack us so that we might be well prepared as a body to respond. And I thank you, Father, that we can have evenings like this where we can tap into that knowledge and wisdom and, and benefit as a whole congregation from it. And we just ask that your spirit might permeate this place. You would give us wisdom and direction and that this would be a fruitful time and we would walk away better prepared to answer the question, does God exist? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Danny, as we, uh, we think about this question, does God exist? Um, obviously, it's part of the series because it's a hot button issue. Like many people would say God does not exist. But if we rewind the clock a few hundred years, you know that this question didn't even really seem to be on the church's radar. Um, it, it seemed like most would just take it for granted that God did exist. So maybe to start us out, if you could just set the context for us of why is it that in such a short period of time, we've gone from this being a non-issue to now it's a highly contentious issue in our culture. Yes, and I think you bring up a good point. Um, for some of you out there, you don't like the subject of history. In fact, one of my daughters, if I mention history, she rolls her eyes and why do we have to learn about dead people? You know, <laughs> but this is an ex uh, excellent illustration of where history does matter and the, the way we understand or ask the question why does does God exist is really a fairly recent phenomenon uh, as Drew mentioned uh, for the longest time the question wasn't does God exist the question was whose God is right or true um, but it's not until probably uh, the history is complex but right around the enlightenment if you know, if you remember back in your school days that uh, uh, the Enlightenment was a time when you start to have uh, people weary of theological wars, both literal wars and debates, uh, and uh, you have the growth of what we call now modern science with, um, with you know, Francis Bacon, Descartes, Isaac Newton. And so 
you have this, this just gumbo, if I can use that word, of just events that have come together to where when you have the enlightenment, you have people believing uh, very optimistically in the abilities of human reason. And to believe that in order to arrive at truth, we need to shun authority, don't rely on authority, but see what reason can, can lead to. And so with the enlightenment, with modernism, uh, you, you start to have, if you start shedding away authority, one of the first authorities that went away was the reliance upon God's word for what we know about, not just him, but also about this world. And so it was an easy slide into just the, the, the reliance upon our senses only and our reasoning abilities uh, for what we know. And the existence of God was seen by many uh, who fell into the enlightenment and modernist thought. God was not something you perceive with one of your senses. So therefore he cannot be verified or, or proven. And so, so then it leads to uh, what we have now where the question of does God exist is a very significant question. But I'm going to say that in, in the Western culture, I had an opportunity to go to Malaysia and in the East, this is not a question that they struggle with. Uh, it's like I mentioned earlier. Uh, they, they deal with uh, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and other religions that believe in a deity uh, or deities. And so they are, the question of does God exist is, is a non-issue. And so uh, what we're dealing with here in our culture is, uh, I think, a, is rather unique. Oh, thank you. That's super helpful. And I think it's a good word even coming out of this, this morning's lesson on uh, Matthew 28 and Jesus talking about, I have all authority that we need to be submissive to that as Christians. Yes. We see some of the danger. So Danny, thank you so much for setting the context. And, and now that we've got kind of a feel for why this is a big deal, um, I'd like us to just cut to the heart of the matter and ask the question, how do we know God exists? And would you say there's any difference between how we as Christians know God exists and how we might show that or demonstrate God exists to a non-believer? Very good. Um, I thought about bringing this up later, but I'll bring it up now. Oftentimes when the questions are posed to Christians, it's as if, and I'm speaking generally here, as if the questioner is operating from a non-biased or objective perspective and the burden of proof is put on the Christian. But um, both sides bring in presuppositions or prior beliefs that inform how they interpret things, how they view the world. And so, so it's very important that we bring in not just evidence of what they're looking for. When we think of evidence, we think of like CSI, right? You know, the DNA or, or something like that. Like if uh, LSU is better than Kentucky football, Jeff, you know, we look at the records, right? <laughs> so, so, um, I don't, but, I don't endorse that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about basketball, <laughs> but, uh, but they're, they're asking for questions for evidence in that, in that aspect. But there's more to what, how we know than just what we, uh, that narrow view of evidence. There's your, uh, your, your experience, 
what we experience, and then also what's vital, vital to us as believers is, what, is God's word. And I'm going to point to a few scripture that, as a Christian, I don't think we should cow to uh, particularly an atheist claim that we ought not bring in scripture. This is a uh, valid and very important part of how we know. And so uh, there are scriptures where God has told us, uh, for instance, in Job 12, 7 through 9, let me find it. There we go. But ask the animals and they will instruct you. Ask the birds of the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will instruct you and let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? It, it, I think it's uh, pretty interesting. Animals know who God is and who, brought the, who put them here. <laughs> so should we. Um, Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the works of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole world and their words to the end of the world. And I'm going to do one more verse to then answer your your question, Drew. And this is a passage I think uh, most of us, if not all, are very familiar with. It's in Romans 1, 18 through 20, where Paul says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them. That's key. God's existence is evident to all. But what have we done? In our sin, we have suppressed that truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made, and, and as a result, people are without excuse. And so I think one thing that we can point to, and uh, there, are, uh, there are those, uh, particularly the atheistic scientists, but not everyone, but there are those who push back against evidence of design. But it's, it's fairly clear if you just even look at creation, how everything fits together, and it just happens to fit together that we can live and that that earth doesn't go spinning wildly off into the universe out of its orbit, Uh, that the sun doesn't um, just burn up everything, and so on and so forth, Uh, that everything works together just right, and that, that God has given us what is necessary to know that he exists. Now, um, it doesn't tell us his nature, who he is, who we are, so we are in dire need of his divine revelation. But he has, he has created this world and our ability to know such that we can see what's going on and recognize there's something more to than what I just merely see. Someone has to put, have put this together. So I think as believers, we have that to point to. Uh, as uh, uh, scripture encourages and informs us that God has given us this evidence right here um, for his existence. Oh, that's super helpful, and I appreciated the, the way you highlighted that there's, there's multiple, multiple avenues here that we, we can know from the experience we have, but we can also look out into the world and see the evidence of God and, and the way he's faceted everything together and designed it. Um, 
So to push the point a little bit further, obviously all of us in the room, I think, are not concerned just that God exists, but that the God of the Bible exists. So let's imagine we're having a conversation and somebody says, all right, I'll grant you, you look out into the world and yes, um, there's evidence of this design. I believe it's a God, but how do I know it's your God? How do I know it's the God described in the Bible? How might we come back to that objection and, and answer, answer that person? And that, that is actually a very good question because if you look at uh, the history of ideas, the Greeks, the Romans studied a plethora of gods and, um, and same with other religions. Uh, I, what's unique about Christianity is that God did not remain out there, some abstract idea or some being that um, you call out to but you may never see. If you're a fan of the show Lost, um, I think his name was Ben, wanted to see Jacob, who was the quote-unquote deity of the island, and he never saw him, and his faith wavered. God is not just some vague idea. What's unique to Christianity is that God came to earth in Jesus Christ. And that, so, we're, so knowing God is not just an abstract intellectual thing, it is a relational way of knowing as well. That we know God through Christ who came in human form, fully God, fully man, and lived and acted and worked on earth. There are historical records of his existence that he died physically, that he rose again. There were eyewitnesses, numerous eyewitnesses to his uh, resurrection. And not just that he was a mere image or uh, like he was seeing a ghost. Jesus ate in front of them. Thomas touched Jesus. Jesus came back physically. So, so I think what makes Christianity unique and true is that no other religion has their God coming down to us, condescending to us, and literally living amongst, on this earth so that we do have historical evidence of his existence. Uh, the, the question becomes, what does that person do with Jesus' claim about himself? You know, and so it's not so much about does God exist, it's well, here we have Jesus claiming he is God, he is one with God, he is the son of God, Jesus claims that. It is up to you. What are you going to do with that? And so um, I think if we look at who Jesus is and uh, what he's done on the earth, that makes Christianity very unique that no other, I think, religion has done or uh, has in their own holy scriptures or books. Oh, that's perfect. Well, we, uh, we could honestly probably just stop it here. So Danny's answered the question and, and we could all go home. But we, we do want to keep things going uh, with uh, another section of this. So we've seen um, kind of the historical setting, what led us to this point, And you very helpfully walked us through how do we answer the question, how do we know God exists, and, and then pointed us to Jesus as the way we know that Christianity specifically is true. But now what I... I'd like us to do is just think through some common objections people will often throw at us after we, we've said uh, something like that or laid out arguments like that. And I think in particular of a, a conversation I had with a friend a number of years back where we had walked through some things like this and he said to me, you know, Drew, 
I, I hear what you're saying, and it sounds good. Honestly, it e even sounds persuasive. But my fear is that a Buddhist could come up and give me just as many good reasons to think Buddhism is true, or a Muslim might cut up, come up and have just as many good reasons to think Islam is true. And I, I think it gets to this objection that maybe you all have heard as well, that how can Christians possibly claim that they alone know what's true? Isn't it overwhelmingly arrogant for us to suppose that just because we have a holy book, it's somehow better than everyone else's holy book, or just because we have a God, it's better than everyone else's God? So how do we know, for instance, that Christianity is true, the God of the Bible is true, versus the Greco-Roman gods, or Hinduism, or Islam? Before I answer that, I want to bring up, um, I think you alluded to it uh, when talking to your friends. Apologetics sometimes is presented as having your arguments ready. All right, I hear that question. I lay down my card here, your turn. But it's not that. Apologetics ought to be about listening to the questions that are being asked and then, and then letting their questions serve as a springboard as into uh, how you're going to communi communicate the gospel. It's, it's not about having the, the four spiritual laws memorized and kind of force, forcing those into the conversation when they don't fit. So listening to the questions. Um, and, and this one, I think, is a, is, is a common question that we hear. How can Christianity claim that they're alone or truth? And well, I want to turn that question back around and ask, well, don't other religions do the same as well? Does not Islam claim to be the true religion? Does not Judaism and other religions claim to have exclusive um, uh, access or uh, uh, they have the truth? Uh, so it's, it's, it's not unique to Christianity. Um, so I, I think you can turn that question back on them. Um, and, and, and then also uh, implied in that kind of question is that, you know, the arrogance of Christianity as if it's unnatural for someone to, to believe that what they hold to is true and ought to be communicated. Let's look at how we live everyday life. Um, you know, when you've been convinced of something or you fully believe in something, uh, let's look at our political landscape, how people who, whether they're Republican, Democrat, somewhere in between, they're very passionate about what they believe regarding politics, and they, are, they communicate as such. Uh, and then even something as more mundane as essential oils or, uh, <laughs> or diet or exercise or UK basketball, Jeff. No, <laughs> but, but don't we all, is it not natural that when you believe that you have obtained something that is right and true to, to try to convince others. Um, you know, I tried to convince my students that studying philosophy is not a bad thing. Studied rightly under the authority of God, it, it can be very useful. Um, and I believe that. I try to convince them that. So this idea of, of Christianity believing that, they, that we have we know the truth, and, and that there is no other way to God. Uh, it's not an arrogant thing. It's something that is natural to us. It, um, so it's not really an issue of 
arrogance where it's prideful, stinginess, looking down on people like, we have the truth, you don't, sorry for you. True to the, if you're true to the gospel, it is a humility that I should not have this truth because of my sinfulness before God, apart from Christ. And that when saved, that it, it, is, it is out of gratefulness and obedience uh, that we proclaim and try to draw the lost out. So, so this, this question about the arrogance of claiming access to the truth or exclusivity, uh, that word arrogance is really packed and needs to be unpacked about what is entailed behind it. And here's the truth of the gospel. We don't hold to it like a can, we don't hold like a candle under a bushel, like that little song goes. Rather, we seek to put it on the hill for all to see. And, and, but it is not us claiming that God is the only way. I mean, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. It is God himself who has proclaimed that. And it is in obedience and in trust in him that we proclaim that as well. It is not us saying this. It is God himself. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great point you brought up that we're not the only ones making claims like this, that the person we're in conversation with is very likely stamping out a claim and saying this alone is right. So, so it's a little unfair to throw the claim of arrogance back on us. Now, yeah. and, and there are people who do act arrogantly about it. So it could, their question could be stemming from people they've known in the past. But I think to be uh, walking rightly uh, and to rightly reflect the gospel is to not walk in an arrogance, but in humility and gratefulness. Mm. Well, thank you, Danny. Um, you know, just continuing through here on common objections, we often get to the idea that God exists. Another one I'll, I'll often hear from people is this idea that um, God is kind of a useless notion anymore. And uh, I, I remember a friend of mine, we, we were at UPS and we were in the trucks and when it's just two guys in the back of a truck for hours, there's really nothing else to do but talk about philosophy and, uh, <laughs> and these sorts of things as, as men as are. As is natural. As is natural, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going along and he says to me, um, you know, Drew, it used to be the case that people looked up in the sky and they saw rain come down and they thought, oh, God must do that. Or they saw plants rise up out of the ground and they thought, oh, God must do that. But the reality is now we know that science can explain why rain comes from the ground and, and plants grow up. Or sorry, rain doesn't come from the ground. Scratch that. <laughs> That's why he's got the PhD and I'm the youth pastor. <laughs> so rain comes from the sky and plants come up from the ground. And, and he said... Um, you know, I just we don't need God to explain anything. So it's great that you believe in God. That's fine. But I'm a man of science. And I only want to believe something if uh, it explains the world around me. So how might we respond to someone like that? This is uh, a question that is related to what we referred to earlier in, in the growth of modern science and um, the Enlightenment. But it really brings in a lot of assumed beliefs about what science is and what it can do. And there is a, there's a, a school of thought called scientism. Uh, there's varying degrees of strength, how one holds to it. But it's the idea that science gives us everything we need to know about this world. And, and really, 
science is about describing how things work. Um, because we now know that when it thunders, it's, it's not God bumping into his furniture or, you know, a little joke we would say as a kid or, you know, lightning is when the angels drop their, their camera and the flash goes off. It's, it's nothing like that. <laughs> we now know uh, what are the necessary conditions for this rain that's happening as we speak to happen. Um, I grew up in Louisiana. I love hurricanes. I love severe weather and just... We now know, uh, I know, um, <laughs> I wanted to fly into them as my job, but, you know, that didn't work out, so <laughs> my wife's probably glad. So, But we now know hurricanes are not an angry God taking out his vengeance upon the, uh, the world. We know uh, there's a lot that goes into play, but, there, um, but just because science can now describe how a hurricane is formed and how it maintains itself and then dies out, just because we know how it's formed, that does not answer all the questions. Like, why do we, like, why is it that way? Um, uh, why could they not exist, uh, happen at all? You know, science only goes so far as to what it does. And in, in a very general and basic way, science just really describes the how, I mean, the why, questions of purpose and meaning are beyond the scope of science. And if a scientist seeks to answer those questions, which is okay, but he's no longer, or he or she is no longer doing science. They're now delving into philosophy and theology. And so, so science has not done away with uh, any need or appeal to God. Uh, let, let's assume for the sake of argument that evolution is the way Darwin said it is that still does not do away with the need of God because the very conditions that were necessary for everything to begin, how did they even get there? Why was it those and not other? Why was it that way and not any other way? So even if Darwin was true in the way he said, he has not done away with the need for God. Um, and so I would say for that question, is it, it really boils down to how do you view science and it's what it's able to do and not do so oh that's really helpful and you know it reminded me of something you said towards the beginning how we look out at the world and we see all this evidence that god has fitted it together certain ways and it, when we make that kind of um, observation it's not as if we're being anti-science we're actually relying on what science tells us yeah. and saying this points us beyond that so that that's very helpful yeah. um to shift gears a little bit here um, and, and go with an objection, not so much about how, you know, Christianity is anti-science or arrogant, but some people even go so far as to say Christianity doesn't make sense. And one of the most common uh, forms this takes is people will look at the doctrine of the Trinity and they'll say, look, you believe that God is somehow three in one. Well, I've got news for you. Three does not equal one. And so obviously you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> So if you could, in the next two minutes, explain the doctrine of the Trinity, okay. that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Well, this is, uh, I, I think this is where Christians ought to be humble and not scared. There are, you know, the Trinity is hard to grasp sometimes. But, but we don't believe the Trinity just because it sounds cool and different. Uh, God has revealed it to us. So we believe because of who God is and what he has communicated to us. 
And so I, I take the approach of Anselm and Augustine, where they, uh, faith-seeking understanding, I believe that the Trinity is a reality because of what God has revealed to us. And so I then seek to understand. I don't withhold belief. God, I'll believe everything but the Trinity. We'll hold off on that. No, it's, it's, um, it's a matter of trusting Believing that the Trinity is real, not just because, oh, it's part and parcel of Christianity, but because of God who is true, faithful, uh, and all the attributes you can think of, he has communicated that to us of his nature, and so we believe. And so for an unbeliever who struggles with the Trinity, this is an example of where apologetics is not just a one-time event. I would argue that apologetics tends to happen more often in relational settings with coworkers, family, neighbors, or whatnot, and it happens over a period of time. I think it's rare that you have someone who just throws out a challenge, an answer is given, and boom, all of a sudden they're saved. I think more often than not, it's a journey of sorts. And so answering a question about the Trinity, which is a valid question from the unbeliever, the believer uh, this is where helping them to see the big picture of Scripture and how it does make sense in light of Scripture. But if you take the Trinity out of that big picture and just kind of hold it on its own, yes, it will be incoherent. But that's where you need to speak it, uh, of it in the whole context of Scripture. And that's where apologetics ought to be seen as a relational activity in, in the context of uh, a conversation that's ongoing for a certain period of time. So would you say when we get objections like that, instead of just focusing on the, the one issue, we need to kind of paint with a broader brush and say this is, this is just a doctrine that's a part of Christianity as a whole and, and shift the focus that way? Yeah, I, I would, uh, again, each situation is going to be different, but, um, you know, I think who's been helpful are, now they're, they're pretty technical, but um, uh, J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig, um, another name I just forgot, but there has been work done to show uh, just the coherence of the Trinity. Uh, but if you have the opportunity for you to meet with this person on an informal or a formal basis, you know, ask them and say, look, that's a great question, but I, I feel like I need to talk about this first. Can I do that and then show you how it fits in? So, you know, be honest with the unbeliever. You know, it's okay to say if I don't fully understand it right now or I feel like I need to bring this up before we bring it. You know, just be honest. You know, uh, don't try to fake your way through it because they can, they can see it right off the bat. Awesome. So, so maybe I think we've got time for maybe one more okay. um, objection to think through. And uh, this one I think we, we get from people who will say, look, um, I just can't believe that God exists because I, it seems like if he did exist, he would make it so much more obvious. Like, I, I just look, you've got these arguments, you've got these reasons, but, but shouldn't there be more than that? Like, can't you just write God exists in the stars <laughs> or like come down in the middle of the Super Bowl and be like, boom, I exist? Like, why, why this kind of hide and seek all the time? So this is kind of the question of evidence. Why does he not give us more evidence? Yeah, exactly so. And, and um, well, how much is enough? 
Uh, Bertrand Russell was an atheistic mathematician, brilliant mathematician, attempted philosophy, eh. but uh, <laughs> he, he, he is famous for his still relevant essay, uh, Why I Am Not a Christian. And he was asked one time after a lecture, let's say you die and there is a God and you stand before him in a judgment. What would you say? And Bertrand Russell said, I'm sorry, but why did, I, why did you not give more evidence? And, and, and so, but, but with that kind of approach, it is one of, well, how much is enough evidence and what counts as evidence? You know, so it's not so much the burden on the Christian it's, uh, if I can use Russell as an example, Bertrand Russell's already coming it with in mind what will count and what will not count and what counts as enough and what is not enough. And, you know, uh, in Matthew 12, 39, where uh, Jesus was asked to give them, a, uh, give, I think it was religious leaders, a sign. And, and, he's, and he said, um, I, I'm paraphrasing here, for, forgive me, but uh, he's basically said, you know, I've given you signs. What more do you need? And uh, we spoke earlier just what God has done in creation. And, you know, he has given us the evidence. It's more of a matter of why are you not accepting what has been given already? And God has chosen not to come down in the middle of a Super Bowl. You know, that's his will. And, um, you know, I, it's not on me to answer why or why not. He has not. But look what he has done for us. Well, thank you so much, Danny. And uh, just as we wrap things up, um, are there any resources or books, websites, YouTube videos, podcasts, anything like that that you would direct people to if they wanted to get to know a little bit more about this? I know you mentioned William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland, but any, any specifics? Yes. Well, first I would say read your Bible. You know, Dr. Dr. Cook. <laughs> I uh, said earlier this morning in today's sermon about uh, being able to face death rightly in a, in a proper way comes about by spending time in the Word. And I would say spend time in the Word. Um, Jesus promised the disciples in Luke 12, 11 through 12 that when they are brought before the magistrates, not if, but when, that the Holy Spirit will give them the words that they need. And I think that is a promise that is true for us today. I don't think God is going to give to the disciples and hold out on us when it comes to the, what the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, his, his role. He too will give you the words you need. So that, but, that, but that doesn't take the responsibility away for you to spend time in your word, think through those tough questions, ask the tough questions, and pray that the Lord would Sinji, uh, if I can say this, um, one reason why I got into philosophy is because growing up, I was so worried of not having the right answer or not having enough information, I would just keep my mouth shut, avoid the questions <laughs> by being quiet. And so uh, uh, I met Dr. Cable in 2006 when he joined church, and he kind of took me under his wings, and I realized that philosophy would be a good way for me to tackle these own questions I had and to gain um, to, to gain confidence in a way. But it, it became evident that I think oftentimes we make it more difficult than it really is in answering these questions. So spend time in your word. Spend time in prayer. Look at John 9 when the blind man was healed and he was brought before the Pharisees and they kept asking him, who did this? 
because remember he was healed on the Sabbath, and the blind man who was blind from birth, lowest rung in society, uneducated, took them to school. And he said, what, do you want to become one of his disciples? Do I have to tell you again? You know, no man has ever healed someone from, the, uh, from being blind. So this man has to be from God. And, and so even, so that, I think that passage shows that, that apologetics can uh, and ought to be done from those who, are, who have not been trained professionally to those who have been. It, it's it's it, God, God's spirit will guide us. Some basic resources, uh, Dr. Cable, our very own member, um, I, the Apologetic Study Bible is very helpful, has a lot of short articles uh, and snippets throughout. Um, Sean McDowell is the son of Josh McDowell. Uh, I think many of us are familiar with Josh. Josh McDowell just updated his new evidences uh, that demand a verdict, which I think is a very helpful book. But Sean McDowell is, um, he used to teach high school, he's now teaching at a, a college, but he has, his website full of blog articles, podcasts, and video snippets that are very accessible. And they're very good at kind of getting a, getting a quick grasp on an issue. Uh, and it's great, especially if you're dealing with young people. I very, uh, he wears coats like this, but he wears superhero t-shirts. See, I, I, I'm not that cool. And he has hair and I don't, so I just let him have, no. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, Sean McDowell. And then if you want to get more technical, they can be difficult to understand, but they're very helpful. Richard Swinburne, um, William Lane Craig has a website. Um, uh, maybe it's something I can Reasonable provide. faith. Yeah, something I could provide on an email or something. But um, there, we live in a, a period where we have a wealth of apologetical resources where we're, not without ex- we're now without excuse. Um, and they vary from um, level of difficulty or technicality. Now, one, one last resource that I was shown when I was in college was by a gentleman named Paul Little, Know what you believe and know why you believe. Uh, very accessible uh, works that, that help you um, with these questions. Well, thank you again, Danny. And uh, for you all, I hope you found this as helpful and informative as I had. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we will be dismissed. Father, we just thank you again for nights like this to ponder difficult questions and to get good answers. And Lord, I pray that the, the wisdom and the knowledge that we've received this evening would be things that we can turn around and use as we engage those around us with the gospel. And Jesus, I pray that as Danny mentioned, when we, when we use knowledge like this, we would not come across arrogantly, but we would do so with humility and in a loving way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.